Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and it is a great joy to be with you here during this season of Advent, the season of Christmas, that we get to come together virtually, in person, that we get to come together and celebrate what God is continuing to do in and through us, God's church, that we can lean into the relationship God has for us, that we can love deeply one another, that we can love deeply our God, and we can go into the the world proclaiming the good news that Christ is come. Christ is here for each and every one of us and has set us free from sin and death. I am so glad that you are joining us. And if you're new here, welcome. Welcome to you. And we are excited that you are here with us because we know that God is doing a powerful thing in this community of faith, that God is, is preparing us and is sending us. We've said it before, and I'll say it again, is that that uh, we're not waiting for a movement from God. We are experiencing God's movement right now in this place, in these people that God is calling together. And so we would like to invite you, invite you to join with us in a journey to grow in relationship with God and relationship with one another so that we can go and do all that God has in mind for us because we realize we're not perfect but we know the one who is, and that's Jesus Christ, and we want to be more like him. And so you are welcome to come on this journey with us that together we can discover who we are and whose we are each and every day. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but one of the things that, uh, that can truly uh, fluster me or confuse me is uh, a change in the direction of my life. When something impacts me and I have to change the way I live or the way I think about the world around me or uh, any of those things, it, it, it can fluster me. It can cause me some fear and trepidation. I mean, sometimes it's not overpowering. Uh, my son, for example, when he was in seventh grade, he had a science teacher who really took a liking to him and, and saw some potential in him and encouraged him and, and made him feel good about himself at a time when he was struggling with his identity. Uh, and, and because of that, he loves science. She was a science teacher, and, and he loves science. That's what he has chosen to do for a career. And, and so sometimes these life-changing moments, we don't really see when they happen, that, that it's a small nudge that we receive. Sometimes, however, some of those life-changing moments can be catastrophic. They can be disruptive. They can be difficult for us to deal with. Things like divorce, when you find out that you are no longer loved by your spouse and they uh, ask for a divorce, or, or uh, the death of someone you love or care about, maybe your mother or father or friend or sibling, uh, death is hugely uh, catastrophic in our lives. A diagnosis that we don't want to hear when somebody comes to us and they say, yes, that that is cancerous and we're going to have to enter into a new line of treatment or, or of disease where you hear now that you have contracted something. I mean, most of us are familiar with the idea of a global pandemic at this point. All of these things are disruptive and distract us and can cause us concern, fear, and anxiety. Actually, the more major the event, the more fear 
and anxiety are associated with it. The more major the event, the bigger the impact it has on our lives, the more fear and more anxiety we're going to be carrying into that. And the truth is, we have all experienced that. We've experienced it on on large and small scales from from those things that I just talked about, death and disease and uh, divorce and all of that. But it can be smaller and still pretty catastrophic when you're younger and you transition to a brand new school with a brand new group of people. It can be terrifying because you don't know what they're going to think. You don't know what's expected of you. You don't know how you're going to deal with it. Life change can be so difficult for us to navigate. And it can bring so much fear and anxiety, so much trepidation, so much concern about what is going to happen. That's one of the reasons why I love the story we're going to take a look at today. The story that we're going to take a look at today has some of the most drastic, the most preposterous life change ever conceived of. And it's a story between Mary and the angel Gabriel, where Gabriel comes and shares with Mary that everything is about to change in her life, that that her understanding of what her life was going to look like is going to be drastically different, and how she is going to be perceived will be drastically different. And so we're going to look at the gospel of Luke. Now, I wanted to start before that, because the story of Mary can be if we, if we look at it maybe with eyes for the first time, or if we really read through it, we can, we can have some serious questions about the validity of it. I mean, it's a story of a virgin girl who, who has an angel show up to her and say, hey, you're going to be pregnant and bear the savior of the world. And she's like, okay, no problem. And we look at the story and we think, man, I don't know how this could be real. And so I wanted to start by taking a look at the very beginning of Luke's gospel. So Luke is the one that we're going to take a look at at the way that he writes this out. And and one of the reasons why I love this is because of how he begins his gospel narrative. So in Luke 1, 1 through 4, Luke says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke is a doctor and he he undergoes, undertakes an investigation investigation into what is the truth and the reality of the story. So he investigates by interviewing those first-person eyewitnesses to the story of Jesus. He's talking to the apostles, those that were Jesus' disciples, and says, hey, tell me the stories. She, he talks to Mary and hears the story of the Annunciation, and he presents this all to a guy that is titled... Most excellent Theophilus. Now, uh, not that it bears much interest for the story, but just in case you're curious who Theophilus is, Theophilus is actually not, probably not a name. Theophilus is a title, beloved of God. 
so when, when, Mary, or when uh, Luke is writing this letter, which he writes actually two letters to him, the, the gospel of Luke and also the story of Acts, uh, he, he addresses his title, Most Excellent Theophilus. And the reason scholars believe that he does that is because this was probably a high-ranking R- Roman official in a time when Rome was vehemently against Christianity and the Christian faith. And so when Luke writes this, he writes this without naming someone who can get in trouble for being faithful to Jesus. And so I wanted us to start here again, because when we, when we actually listen, like with ears for the very first time, the story of this interaction between Mary and an angel can be hard for us to stomach. It can be difficult for us to fathom. And so let us hear anew and, and maybe for the very first time with the excitement and expectation that comes with Christmas. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, when last week we talked about uh, Zechariah, how the angel Gabriel, who is very busy during this season, goes to Zechariah and says, hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a child. Your wife's going to get pregnant. You're going to have a child, even in your old age. Uh, and, and this is the same angel that comes to Mary, to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Mary and Joseph were not yet married. They were under a marriage contract, but they hadn't done the marriage vows. They hadn't had the ceremony. And so they were not living together as husband and wife. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. I love the way that this begins because I I don't know any words that would probably strike more fear into me than if an angel shows up and that's how they begin. Greetings, you who are highly favored with the Lord. Now, I don't expect that to happen, right? Because I'm probably not up there in the same level as Mary, but uh, the angel Gabriel shows up to this girl. Now, scholars believe that Mary was 15 to 16 when she had Jesus because the, the time to enter into this marriage contract, which lasts a couple of years, was 12 to 14 years old. So Mary, uh, being 15 to 16 by the time that she was, was giving birth to Jesus, so 14 to 15 years old, when the angel Gabriel shows up and shares with her that she is highly favored, By God. And in response, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. (laughs) No kidding. Uh, Greatly troubled. I think that may be one of the understatements of the Bible that she was greatly troubled. She had a little little concern. Now, when I read this story, one of the things that, that gets me is 
I have a, an overactive imagination. I, I admit it. I, I enjoy it. Uh, but I like to imagine the conversation that took place in heaven with God and his archangels. He's like, okay, we're going to call this meeting of the archangels together. Uh, and they probably follow the Robert's rules of order. Uh, and, you know, God calls the meeting to order. And then God starts to explain the new plan for redemption, the plan that he has been working on this whole time, but brings everybody into the fold and tells Gabriel, hey, Gabe, I, I need you to do a couple of things this season. I need you to go and talk to Zechariah. And then I want you to go to this 14-year-old girl, that she is the linchpin, the thing that hinges the whole of this story, the whole of redemption together. I want you to go and tell her, hey, she is primary in my plan. And I'm sure if that is the way it took place, all the archangels were like, I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> You're going to tell this girl who, who, that she's going to be the one that does all of this. No wonder she was greatly troubled when she hears the words of the angel. Because I hear the angel saying that to a young girl. And I think about my daughter at 14. Could she handle the, the life change that was being proposed? Could she handle the transition? Could I handle the transition that was being suggested? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never... Uh, when Mary hears that, she has to know what the angel is talking about because he's talking in the same language that was provided for Jeremiah and Isaiah, the prophets that heard the story, that, that, that told of the hope of the Messiah, the one that was to come. And, and so Mary, when she hears that he is going to rule over his father David's throne, that means that he is fulfilling the messianic prophecy that Jeremiah and Isaiah and so many other prophets had, had hoped in, had talked about, and had believed that God was sending because they heard it from God himself. And so when Mary hears that, I mean, when, when I think about that, there are so many questions that I would have. So many things. Okay, how is this going to happen? What's going to go on? Tell me all of the things that are going to need to transpire. But Mary, probably because she was infinitely more faithful to God, probably because she was closer to God in that moment than, than maybe I'll ever be, she responds totally different. She responds purely practically. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, a virgin. She's just asking about the practical side of things. What is going to happen for this to occur? What is going to happen in the process of this? I, I'm, I'm, she's not asking all of like, I, 
I know when my kids go to the doctor, like there are a list of questions that I want them to ask the doctor and then report back to me so that I know that the doctor is doing the things that the doctor needs to and that they are asking the right questions so that they can be cared for correctly. And, and I see Mary and her one question is just how, not why, not why me, no excuses like we see in the Old Testament. When Moses was called, Moses had a, a laundry list of excuses. I, I'm, I'm not very good with people. I don't talk well. I don't, I, I don't want to go back to, to, to see Pharaoh. They want to kill me there. None of that was on, his, on her mind. She just wanted to know one thing. How will this happen? And so the angel explains it. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word, no word from God will ever fail. I mean, if you talk about life disruption, you talk about the, the catastrophic change that is being offered to Mary, uh, it, it's just phenomenal. Um, when we think through, we, we think through, yeah, how, how will we care for the baby? How will we provide those types of things? But Mary lived in a time when if you were pregnant out of wedlock, everyone would look down on you. And so when she's thinking about this, she's got to be thinking about how is she going to live? What are people going to perceive her as? How is she going to be treated? And that's even before the baby is born. What, what is life going to be like while she is pregnant for the next nine months with this child, the child of promise, the child of hope, the child that the prophets spoke of, the child that she is going to have to go and tell her parents about, the child that she is going to have to tell her husband-to-be about, the child that the community is going to hear about and doubt that she is telling the truth. All of this is before the baby. And then after the baby, the same dramatic life change that we have all experienced if we've had a child, that, that there is no amount of plan and preparation that we can have to prepare for a new child in our lives. It just changes everything. It derails our lives, the way that we perceived and, and, and understood how things were. It, it just changes. And so Mary has all of these drastic changes on the horizon. Everything is about to be different for her. Every single thing, even the way her parents treat her, is about to change. And ultimately, uh, even the way people at the time of Jesus treated her is going to change because of who she became. And so in response to all of that, without asking any other questions, Mary responds in a way that makes my heart fill with joy and hope that maybe one day, maybe I could respond to God in the same way. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I, I imagine that Gabriel was like, oh, no, no other questions. Okay, sweet. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll head right out. No, no problem. Uh, you know, we should, we should be impressed 
by Mary's willingness to allow this to happen. By Mary's one question and then, sure, no problem, I'm in. Mary, Mary was so in love with God and so passionate about God's people that she didn't care about the extraneous stuff. Her faith allowed her to triumph over those things that could cause her fear. Her faith in God and in God's promise, her faith in the hope that the Messiah would bring, her faith allowed her to say, may it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. When we look at Mary, we see someone who is in tune with God, someone who in spite of the cost is willing to follow God and participate fully in God's plan. When we think of Mary, we think of somebody who doesn't fathom the cost, but instead charges in to the hope that is out there. Uh, she didn't expect the explanation. If you remember last week, uh, we talked about Zechariah. He wanted an explanation. Uh, Mary doesn't want that. Mary just wants to do what God wants her to do. Mary wants to follow wherever God is calling her to go. Mary wants to live in the way that God is asking her to live and, and consents to being a part of God's plan. The truth is that we all can face that same question. And maybe you're sitting out there saying the same thing that I am. I'm really glad God didn't ask me that that God didn't ask me to be the mother or father of Jesus, that God doesn't ask me that much of a step because it's hard enough taking baby steps toward God. And, and the truth is that fear can hold you back from that relationship. Fear can keep you in place instead of pursuing the relationship that God has in mind for you. And so uh, it, it's, it's the difficulty of that the life change or the change in perception or the unknown of saying yes to God. Now, the truth is God wants you to say yes. God wants you to say yes. And some of you out there are saying, well, yes to what question? <laughs> what yes should I be saying? And, and so, for some of you, it's the question of whether or not you are even going to follow Jesus. Maybe you stumbled across our stream online or you are here for the very first time and, and you really don't know what brought you in or what got you here but you're here, and I want to let you know that God brought you here because God wants you to hear the hope that he has for each and every one of us. The hope that if we say yes, if we agree to follow him, that everything can be different. Yes, there is a cost associated with it, but everything can be different. In 1929, there was a, a guy, his nickname was Jack. He was known by Jack to all of his friends, and, and he, um, he had served in World War I um, and had grown up in the Church of Ireland and decided that there is no God and became a staunch atheist when it wasn't cool to be an atheist. And, and so he, he 
hated the idea that his friends kept trying to nag him into being a Christian. So he decided, because he was a fairly intellectual guy, he was going to undertake uh, an experiment. He was going to learn the scripture so that he could rebuff and refute all of the false claims in the Bible so that when his friends came to him and, and tried to convince him, he had good arguments against them. And so he read through it, and the difficulty was that he heard God speaking to him through this time, and, and his heart became more and more vulnerable to the presence of God because of what he started to understand. He, he writes this in a book that he later published, uh, which says this, you must picture me alone in that room at Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet, that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. The most reluctant and dejected convert. This guy pursued the ability to argue against his friends and instead found God coming time and time again to call him into relationship, to help him to say yes, to invite him into a deeper understanding of who God was, that God was real and God was there for him. Jack was the nickname of a guy named Clive Staples Lewis. We know him better as C.S. Lewis. And he wrote over 30 books, including the Chronicles of Narnia, and apologetics books like Mere Christianity and the Screw Tapes Letters, Screw Tape Letters. C.S. Lewis became one of the most influential Christians in his day, and his influence is still here with us today in such, so, so many of the books that he wrote. And we can hear these stories of people who said yes to God, and we can look at our lives and say, I'm glad that's not me because I have too much going on in my life to be able to say yes to something like that. And, and the hope is this, that, that we can take a baby step. Maybe, maybe we don't have to take a leap into becoming uh, the world-famous Christian author from atheism in one step, or the mother of Jesus in one step. Instead, we can take one baby step toward God and say yes to something we haven't said yes to in the past. A deeper relationship, a, a true relationship, an obedience to God that we have never had. And, and we hear these stories, and, and maybe we think to ourselves, I would, but I don't know that I can. I, and we doubt in our own ability because that fear, that trepidation, that anxiety is holding us back. And the truth is this, we can doubt our ability, but don't doubt God's ability to use us in the building of his kingdom. God has in mind for us something so much more powerful. God has in mind for us the life that he calls us to. And so my hope is, that as we celebrate this Christmas season, as we have put the lights up outside and we decorate our trees and prepare for Christmas Day, 
that we will say yes to God, not just yes to hosting a Christmas party, not yes to wrapping the presents just right, but yes to God this Christmas season. Maybe we could even say yes to God today and agree to follow wherever God is calling us to walk deeper into that relationship and to love God so deeply that it can change everything for us because that's the promise of Christmas, that God came to be with us and calls us to be with him. Let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, we give you thanks for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the hope that we have in him, for his life, death, and resurrection, which sets us free from sin and death, that gives us new life in him so that we can accomplish all that you have laid out for us. Give us the faith that Mary had when she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, so that we can say yes to you, Lord so that we can follow obediently wherever you are calling us, whether it is a small step or a giant leap, that we can pursue you with everything we have, that our very lives can be transformed and and put away our fear, overwhelm us with our faith, so that we can follow faithfully where you are calling us to go. We ask this in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all of us agreed and said, amen.